The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, we are continuing what's called kind of like the Sermon on the Plain. It's similar to Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's where Jesus basically gives us the download on what it means to be a disciple and follow him and what that looks like. So I'm going to read our verses for us, then we're going to pray, and then we'll start working through this together. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs of you. And from one who takes away your good, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is, it, is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High for whom, I'm sorry, for you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Father, as we uh, work through these words and attempt to understand what it means to love our enemies, in the middle of this passage, would we see you in the ways that you have loved us and cared about us? And would we experience your kindness to us this morning? So as we walk through the path of becoming like you, um, that we would experience your grace and presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, when I use the phrase, uh, be like God, um, that's a big phrase that kind of comes out of this passage. It's kind of what we're calling this path. This sermon this morning. Um, I'm not sure what comes to your mind, but in terms of kind of cultural milieu, uh, generally, like, I'm not sure how appropriate this movie is to mention in public, but uh, Bruce Almighty, um, Evan Almighty, those types of movies, again, they're for the kids, maybe not for you, but they're, the, the, the way they portray somebody becoming like God is like knowing everything and being able to do anything you want and kind of being everywhere all at once, like those sort of kind of big ticket things. Um, or having free will to choose, you know, all that type of stuff. When uh, we use that phrase this morning, it can kind of have a sense of arrogance of like, hey, the goal of this sermon is for you to become more like God. It can kind of make us be like, oh, I don't know, that seems a little bit above my pay grade. And like, I'm just a person. I don't know if I want to be like God because, you know, all that stuff. But Jesus, I mean, the, the center of gravity in this passage, I just want to point this out, and then we'll draw our main point from this. In uh, verse 20, 35 and 36, Jesus says this. 
But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and here's the key part, and your reward be great, and you will become sons of the Most High God, or you will be sons of the Most High God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Um, this sort of equation of be like God, God is like this, be like that, is used in a few other places. We have in the Gospel of Matthew, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, or Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. But it's not a very commonly used phrase. And so here's one of the few places where it shows up where it says, God's like this, and if you really belong to God, you will also be like this too. And so that's kind of what we're talking through here. It is a unique moment, and the moment that we come to here is that Jesus' compassion, the compassion that God has for us, is what we are supposed to be exhibiting towards others, the way we live in our lives towards those in, uh, either in our family or our neighbors. And the reality is that the illustration that Jesus uses to kind of drive this home is uh, we're not going to get into all the details of each one, but they're difficult to say the least. Um, having your, I don't know if anybody has a tunic here. Does anybody have a tunic? When Jesus talks about taking your cloak and give them your tunic also, there's difficulty there when people take things from us. He's using difficult illustrations to drive home that becoming more like God is uh, difficult. Becoming compassionate like him is hard. And yet in the midst of that, we experience God's grace. So, Here's the main point that we're looking at. Can we go to the next slide here? Becoming compassionate like God is a difficult road, but it is empowered by God's grace for you. So, the, bo- the whole goal this morning is to say, we want to become like God. That's what it, Jesus means when he says, follow me, All right? It's going to, we're going to become more like God. It's going to be difficult, okay? We'll just accept that. And we're going to start kind of breaking down the passage under three sections that difficulty is um, first part, 27 to 31, the difficult grace of open-handed love. That's what we'll just kind of call this opening section. The, the difficult grace of open-handed love. So, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For the one who strikes takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So when we're kind of looking at this passage, there's a number of dynamics. Each one of these is difficult. Um, I'm not sure... Uh, how many of us are thinking like, you know what, this week I would really love to be punched on one side of the face, and in response, I'm going to show the other cheek also. I'm not sure how, how uh, that strikes you, but it's not exactly like on my list of to-dos for this week or hopes and dreams. But before we kind of break down the details, I, what I want to point out is that I don't think Jesus is giving an assembly instructions for how to become a disciple, like, Drew, when somebody punches you in the face and you turn the cheek also, you add that with taking away your sweet hoodie and then somebody, you give them your hat too. And then when somebody takes away this and you add this, then you become a disciple. I don't think Jesus is laying out 
a, like a definitive marks. I'm not sure how many of you kind of either pay attention to comedians or follow comedy within the kind of the broader public. But the way a comedian does their job is they use um, rhetorical devices that they'll say things that they don't necessarily believe, but they'll say things about culture or situations or things like that to evoke emotions and then grab onto those emotions and drive it towards humor. Like they're not really saying things, you know, they'll say outlandish things all the time, on, you know, about different classes of people and all that sort of stuff, appropriate or not, <laughs> to try to evoke emotions and then they'll drill down on those emotions. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using these moments of being punched in the face, having your jacket taken from you, having your stuff taken from you, having to go the extra mile with somebody, all of those things that kind of like, oh, that emotional response is what he's going after. And then he hooks us into the verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He's kind of doing what a comedian do with those, those emotions and hooking us into the point that he's driving home of loving your enemy. And we're calling this open-handed love because you'll notice in each one of these things, there's a way to do them um, where you get benefit, and then there's a way to do them where you kind of just let them go. So if you have... Um, the ability to have self-control, to get you know the status to be punched in the face, the uh, extra clothes to be able to give clothes away, the extra income so that people can t be taken from you, those sort of things put you in a position. Generally, what Jesus is driving after is you have things that people want, and in the ancient world, you could easily use them to get favors back. Basically, you gave. And you loved other people in a way so that, well, I'm going to give you my tunic, but there's a price here, and I want, I want a return on this. We're going to keep kind of circling around this idea of getting a return on things because Jesus is driving after this reality that um, the way you treat other people is supposed to be flat. You don't treat them as people you can get things from, and then you have your family where you love freely. Everybody is to be loved as though you were family. Jesus is, in a certain sense, saying when loving your enemies is to love your enemies as though they were your own family. This is um, incredibly hard, and that's why we're driving after saying this is complicated and this is difficult. And Jesus calls us not to live within a framework that obligates others when we love them, yeah, I mean, how many of us, I can think of this from my vantage point, right? I'm a pastor, I give my time to people, I engage with them, I love them and care for them, and it's easy for people to feel like, well, they have to, like, pay me back for that time or that investment or whatever. And Jesus is saying, like, no, no, like, the way I would give my time for my children in terms of, I don't expect my children to be like, Dad, let's go get some beers just to talk about life. And how you, I just want to buy, Dad, I'm going to pick up your tab. It's like, we're not there yet. <laughs> you know, or, I'm sorry, if you're in recovery, I, I'm thinking about this like I don't drink anymore, so I'm like, why do I even talk about beer? Let's go get, you know, a sweet cup of coffee, and my sons are going to pick up the tab for that. 
you know, because they recognize, like, I'm going to pay dad back for all the ways he's loved me. Like, that's the goal of what Jesus is aiming at, is that an open-handed love is to say, I love my kids so that they love me, not so that they love me in return, just I love them, and it's a part of my, my love towards them, and I treat others with love and care because I'm not trying to get paybacks, right? Is that making sense, kind of what we're driving at here? I, I feel like I, I, I will say this passage, and there's a number of ways to kind of talk through it. The, the reality is that Jesus is driving at the way in which we love other people because in the, at the end of the day, we have all been loved by God in this way, right? God has loved us so that we experience his love. He has not loved us so that we then give something back to God. He's not loved us so that then God now suddenly has sacrifices provided for him or that he has real estate taken up for him on the corner of Wilson and Valley Street, devoted to him. God loves us, and we receive it. And that is the way in which we are disposed to love other people. We love other people, and we give that love away as an open hand. Let me read this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a pastor uh, during World War II, um, and was martyred. Uh, he was put to death by the Nazis, to say the least. Um, but he talked about discipleship, and he talked about this open-handed love as being unconquerable love. So I want to read this quote first, and then we'll kind of move on. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it for a second, and we'll move on. How does love become, uh, become unconquerable? By never asking what the enemy is doing to it, and only asking what Jesus has done. Loving one's enemies leads disciples to the way of the cross and into communion with the crucified one. Because God loved us when we were his enemies, this love makes disciples disciples able to see. So they can see the enemies included in God's love, that they can see the enemies under the cross of Jesus Christ. God did not ask me about good and evil because before God, even my goodness, my good was godless. God's love seeks the enemy who needs it, whom God considers to be worthy of it. In the enemy, God magnifies divine love. Disciples know that. They have participated in that love through Jesus. See, what Bonhoeffer is helping us see is that the way in which we love other people is defined by how we have experienced God's love. And God loves his enemies. Now, the reality is that when we think about enemies, I don't know, if you've been around the church long enough, you should, there's kind of this tension of kind of like, well, I don't have enemies, I want to be nice to people, like all that sort of thing. And it's like, there can be people who just, for one reason or another, are not on the, your Christmas list. We'll say it like that, you know. They're just not the people that you're like, hey, these are my favorite people. But the reality is that we did not realize when we were on the other side of God's love. And people should not necessarily be aware that they are our enemies. I mean, <laughs> is, is one way to put it. I, I don't know. I can just think of all the ways. And we're going through this. I can kind of stumble through all of these things because I can think through all the ways in which I have made it very clear in my life to people that I have not been following this example. I can think of work situations where I was a complete jerk and people could tell that they were not my friends. <laughs> 
the call of this passage is to, to recognize Jesus is inviting us to see. Your Father in heaven has loved you even when you did not want to be loved by him. And that love means that our, our love towards others around us is not manipulative, it is open-handed. So that we are the type of people who reflect God's love towards others. Okay, if you have questions, again, the, the Q&A number is on the bottom. You can send those in. We're going to keep moving forward because there's still some things to ponder through this passage. The difficult grace of one-way good. All right. Here we have verse 32. I want to read verse 32 to 34, and then we'll come back to 35 to 36. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who ex- from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Uh, what Jesus is driving after is basically this idea of, I like to give to people who are like me because when I give to people who are like me, they like to give me back things that I like, right? It's not very, like, it's not very hard to kind of understand what Jesus is talking about here. I like to be around people who are like me, whether that's my family background, my social class, you know, the people who are into the same nerdy things that I'm into, you know, people who have the same types of hobbies. If I do things, you know, if I, in the powerlifting world, if, if I help my powerlifting friends with, like, I give them a belt or something like that, they know the value of a powerlifting belt, and they know, like, now I'm on the hook to give Jacob back something of equal value to that type of thing, right? Like, that's, that's what I mean. Like, we, we like to give within our groups so that we receive from people who know what we're doing. Basically, Jesus is calling us out in this section to say, whether we mean to or not, each of us develops insider-outsider groups, and that's what he's going after. When he's talking about giving to people outside your group, again, he's talking about this, in the ancient world, this idea of patronage. If I give towards people um, who are not from my class, or my status, they know that they need to give something back, or they are in debt to me in some particular way. Some of us have memories for this, and some of us don't. Like, I still remember somebody that I borrowed 14 bucks from in high school to buy something. That was over 25 years ago. I still have it on my conscience that I, didn't, I never paid him back. <laughs> that I told him that I would pay him back, and I haven't. Like, some of us just have a memory for that, and some of us just easily forget. But the point of what Jesus is saying here, when we're driving after this idea of difficult, the difficult grace of one-way good is that Jesus is driving after we all have these insider groups and these outsider groups and one way or the other loving our enemies means that we treat those who are on the inside with the same type of good as we do with those who are on the outside. Effectively, by loving your enemies as one who is on your inside group, the line between outsiders and insiders becomes very difficult to recognize or even see. And it should be like that. Uh, One of the commentaries I'm using through this whole thing um, as we're preaching through is uh, Joel Green's commentary. I thought this was a very helpful way he framed this, so I wanted to read this for us. 
as a practice, it would appear that love of enemies is designed to mitigate, right, to reduce social tensions. And if it's habitual, it would jeopardize the identity of any group, right? Because by doing good for other people, you, like, hey, like, I love King's Cross, man, you guys are going to get my best. And all those other people in my, my social group, they're not going to get anything. Or outside of my social group. But if we do this habitually, the, people, the way I love people in King's Cross and the way I love my other neighbors throughout the city, it becomes difficult to identify who's on the inside of my, the good that I give. How, this, how can this community be distinguished by practice that dissolves any such distinctions? In essence, Jesus calls on his disciples to form a community, uh, to form a community the boundaries of which are porous and whose primary emblematic behavior is its refusal to treat others as though they were enemies. That is to say, King's Cross should do good for those who are in King's Cross and those who are not in King's Cross in an equal way so that when people are a part of the church, our family, and those who are enemies can't feel the difference. Right? Now, what I'm not saying is, like, I'm not saying that, like, People who are trying to do us harm, we uh, that we don't recognize them as problems for our uh, the cohesion of our group. Like if somebody's sowing division, we don't try to say like, well, you know what, just stay around and sow division. But we got to deal with those things. That's that's dealt with in a different way. The way we do good should create the the reality that there's going to be people in our community that somewhere on the spectrum of being a Christian, not being a Christian, and that's okay. There's going to be people outside of our community, somewhere on the spectrum of being a Christian, not being a Christian. We're going to do good and treat them well and do kind things for them, and that's okay. Like, we're not trying to hook people into obligations to King's Cross. I think this is hard for us to experience because there's so much kind of, at least in our American experience of the church, there's so much hype of being like, man, our church is so great. Don't you want to be a part of our church? Don't you want to be a part of our group, our special inside group, where we have all these fun things that we do just for ourselves and our own property, our own terms, with our own branding, and try to draw people in? And then we get really hyped up on like, man, we're the greatest. And Jesus is saying like, no, like, be a community of disciples. Love other people around you. Don't buy your own propaganda. <laughs> like, love other people in a way where, you know what, inside, outside, the point is that you're being shaped to be like God himself, not so that you consolidate people who owe you things. That, which kind of leads us to verse 35 to 36. Love your enemies and do good. And lend, here's like we're saying, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. I want to kind of walk around these, passage, these verses for a second. Each of us, whether we mean to or not, we're all on the enemy's list. And God was continually kind to us every day of our lives until we saw his goodness for us in Jesus. You, this morning, we all woke up, whether we didn't ask for it or earn it, but we all woke up and were met with God's mercy this morning. He was kind to us. Like, 
Can we just pause for a second? Everybody collectively, a big deep breath in. Let it out. Did anybody earn that breath? Nobody here paid God for that air or for the air that we're continuing to breathe. Nobody looked to God and said, God, you know what? Tomorrow at 11.05, I'm going to need breath. So I'm going to be good today, so you give me breath tomorrow. God has been kind to us, whether we have been conscious about it, asking for it, looking for it, wanting it. He's been good to us in every sense of the word, constantly. And that's what we enjoy. We live in a world that is defined by God being good to us, whether we ask for it or not, and largely for the most part, not asking for it, not being aware of it. And we're called to be like him. The reality is that God does not treat us like outsiders. He treats us like insiders. And his goal in Jesus is that we become aware that he wants us to be insiders as though we were his own children. At the end of the day, there will be outsiders. But hell is a place where people locked God out and refused his mercy. God has called us in Jesus so that we would experience his goodness and then to become like him and give it to other people. I find this hard, personally. I, like I was just saying before, I still remember 14 bucks that I owe somebody from high school. I keep a record of wrongs, uh, ways I've served other people, loved other people. I expect other people to treat me the same. And when I get bent out of shape, it really just checks my heart on these things to say, Jacob, how has God loved you? And then what does it look like for you to experience that and how you love other people? I think a question for us to wrestle with, are we more known for what we're against as Christians or what we're for and the good we do. I, I think it's one of the problems that happened out of the pandemic is that we all very, the, the Christian, some Christian communities hung very quite tightly to our freedoms and our experience of how we wanted to do worship on our own terms. And we were, you know, the whole mask vaccination discussion got reduced down to rights rather than, yeah, but this passage seems to see, say like when you're expected to go further, you go the distance to love other people so that they experience your care for them. That doesn't mitigate the conversation. But it does show that you're for the good for other people rather than my own rights on my own terms. It requires that we love our neighbors. Is, and we do good for them whether it does anything for us. So for example, I know this is a small example, but uh, Dave Hamilton's sick this morning, so I can use him as an illustration um, in a nice way. I'm not going <laughs> to be mean. Uh, this last Christmas, or last, not Christmas, Halloween, they, um, they asked, to, hey, we like to give out hot chocolate on our Halloween night for people in our neighborhood just because we want them to ha have a cup of hot chocolate, a little cold outside, warms people up, just be good to our neighbors. And they were like, hey, can we, the church help us do that? Church pitched in, helped them. We got a little, I don't know, like one of those things that has hot stuff in it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like a cooler, except the opposite. You know what I'm talking about? The heat, like, that thing? 
we got the cups and we got the chocolate and they just gave out hot chocolate. And he was asking for like a backpack thing. I was like, I don't know, man, a backpack thing seems a little much. But, <laughs> but it's that idea of like, like when we talk about this, like I think we can kind of get like, like, like big terms. I'm like, no, like being, doing good for our neighbors is very simple. Being kind, doing things just to bless them, not expecting anything in return. I don't think Dave got any, anything out of him and Holly giving out hot chocolate in our neighborhood, except for being the type of people who are like God, giving good things to people in the neighborhood, just because that's the type of people they want to be. This is why, for example, we talk a lot about, we're just really grateful for the work that the Hope Center does here, or the YWCA and the work that they do, because we, we love seeing good things being done for our neighborhood and our city, even if it doesn't have our name on it, because we like God being reflected, even if people don't recognize or believe in God, doing good things for them, for the people around us. I think it shapes how we think about our life together as a church. It, an idea that has always kind of struck me, if, I don't care about the name King's Cross or anything like that. If our community got shut down, would our neighborhood remember or notice our absence? And the way our neighborhood and city would notice our absence is by the way in which we love and do good for other people. Not because we're trying to get our name out there, but because they desire and they experience and they enjoy the type of good that we do for people around us. That's not to commend us in any particular way, but just to say this is the type of church we want to be. Okay. If I'm not confusing you yet, let's just kind of continue to move on. We'll close us out with this idea, okay? These are difficult things. I mean, Jesus' illustrations are difficult all the way through. I want to end by verse 37 and 38. We'll come back to this next week because these passages overlap. The difficult grace of unmeasured giving, right? We've talked about open-handed love. We've talked about one-way good. And then here we're going to end with unmeasured giving. All of these things are going to sound very familiar, like we're saying the same thing over and over, over again. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so... We're going to pass over the forgiveness stuff. We'll come to that next week. This is the giving side of things. And the reality is that what Jesus is doing here is he's picking up on stuff that's already said throughout the Bible. So, for example, Proverbs uh, 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he that is the Lord will repay him for his deed. So this is fairly common through the Bible. Like, the idea being here that we are not giving to other people in a way where we measure and then expect back from them. But instead, we give and expect, in a certain sense, that God sees and God will reward us. This is not to manipulate God, so this is not like a, a giving sermon of like, hey, if you give that $5,000, God's going to see that and reward you. Uh, if you want to give $5,000, talk to me after the church, after the service. <laughs> I'm kidding. But this is... What this is saying is that we give knowing that God sees and we know that God loves to reward people who reflect him. I'm not exactly sure how to talk about this outside of financial terms because it is so kind of financially laden with 
it feels financial. Um, but the reality is that, that God sees whatever giving looks like for you towards other people. Time, care, resources. God sees that giving. And then God in his own way responds to you by giving in his own way to you. It's a promise. And I don't know how else to say it. But I would expect that whatever we give towards other people, whether that's time, finances, resources, God's way of giving back to us, uh, verse 38, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will we put in your lap? That sounds a bit exaggerated to whatever we can give towards other people. And one of the experiences I can say that I've, I've seen in this is uh, with, uh, some of you remember Bill O'Grady as a part of our church, he would cite this verse all the time because that was his experience. He gave towards others. He gave towards God's work in the city. He gave towards God's work outside of this context, all over the place. Um, and then he was always just shocked at the way God was good to him. Right? He would talk about this. I'm, I'm sure you guys remember. Like, he would talk about it. Bill was the type of guy where he um, had like 10 stories, and then he told each one of them like 100,000 times. You know what I mean? And this is one of those verses where he would be like, I don't know, just good measure, shaking together, put together, I don't, right down to my lap. I don't know why God does it, but that's just the way God does it. And he would just, it was a part of, of how his heart was shaped to be full of gratitude for the ways God had loved him and cared for him and been kind to him. That is kind of what Jesus is getting after. Is your heart shaped to experience God's goodness to you? Okay. Let's end by just pointing out this last verse here, Ephesians 4, 23-52. I'm sorry. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, to follow him, to experience his goodness in a fresh way, to grow in gratitude towards him and his goodness, to, to experience his love and show that to others around us, the training ground for what that looks like is our church life together. So that as we learn to be good towards each other, to be kind towards each other, we experience more deeply being children of God and then are able to show God and how we love other people around us, work, home, every other context. It is difficult, but the reality is that in the midst of all that, we have God himself who's been good to us and has been gracious to us. Let's pray. God, as we've tried to understand this passage and understand what you're showing us in Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grow in our compassion towards others, that we would be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.